Good morning and welcome to Sunday service at Ananda Village. I'd like to welcome especially our guests and visitors at the Expanding Light and the Meditation Retreat and all those who are watching us online. My name is Tiagi Latika and here with me this morning is Peter, Tiagi Peter, and it's our joy to share Sunday service with you. I'd like to read from Rays of the One Light, which are commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita, written by Swami Kriyananda. Today's reading is entitled, What is it to fail spiritually? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. The first passage is from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 25. Jesus tells the parable of the ten virgins, five of them wise and five foolish. They await their bridegroom, the Christ consciousness. The wise virgins keep the oil in their lamps, symbolic of their devotion, lit through the night. The foolish virgins placed no oil in their lamps. These foolish ones are like the average devotee, going through the motions of outer ritual, but keeping no fire of love burning in the heart. When the bridegroom's coming is announced, the foolish virgins realize their mistake and hasten out to purchase oil. During their absence, the Christ consciousness comes and embraces those who have been awaiting him with devotion. The foolish ones, by their lackluster devotion, are not accepted by him. Watch, therefore, Jesus told his listeners, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. In Autobiography of a Yogi, Paramahansa Yogananda describes the foolish virgin consciousness he encountered in the Mahamandal hermitage he stayed in as a young man in Benares. I was pleased, he wrote, that my new home possessed an attic where I managed to spend the dawn and morning hours. The ashram members, knowing little of meditation practices, thought I should employ my whole time in organizational duties. They gave me praise for my afternoon work in their office. Don't try to catch God so soon. This ridicule accompanied one of my early departures toward the attic. Later, during meditation, I felt lifted as though bodily to a sphere uncircumscribed. Thy master cometh today. A divine womanly voice came from everywhere and nowhere. This supernal experience was pierced by a shout from a definite locale. A young priest nicknamed Habu was calling me from the downstairs kitchen. Makunda, enough of meditation! You are needed for an errand. The Divine Mother's words were not spoken for the benefit of that priest, the foolish virgin, but for Makunda, the wise virgin. For this was the day his guru, Sri Yukteswar, came to him. Grieve not, friends, if you feel you have been foolish. No error is forever. Someday, if you keep your lamp lit now, your opportunity will come. In the Bhagavad Gita, the sixth chapter, Krishna promised every devotee, Arjuna, none who works for self-redemption will ever meet an evil destiny. Spiritual failure, though a deep disappointment, 
is always temporary. Eternal hellfire is but a projection of vindictiveness in the human mind. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. This reading is from Yogananda's book of Prayer Demands and Mystical Poems, Whispers from Eternity. This one is named, I Demand to Return Home. Impediments beware, flee my path, I am homeward bound. Through the long corridors of time, stumbling often into pits of error, and then lifted out by thy unseen hand, I have walked painfully, discouraging darkness, barbed wire fences of habit, stony embankments of indolence, mountains of indifference, oceans of unfaithfulness, sirens of sense longing may stand even now in my path, as if to prevent my onward march to thy palace. But a million kingdoms and sextillions of years of unblemished worldly happiness will never tempt me again to turn away from thee. One of the most reassuring things I realized in reading Yogananda's teachings when I was first a devotee on this path uh, 40 years ago was that you really cannot fail as a devotee that the end game for all of us is reunification with God. And really, it's not a question of if will we eventually reunify with God, have total yoga or union with God. It's really a question of when that will happen. And the when part of the equation is very much dependent on our behavior. We can take a very, very, very long time doing it, or not so long. And fortunately, the masters have given us tools, techniques like Kriya Yoga and our other meditation techniques, and wise counsel about how to use devotion and our mental processes and our behavior and interactions with other people to keep us on a guided course on our return home to God. I remember when I had been here not very long. This was back in the early, mid-1970s. I was at a small gathering with Swami Kriyananda, and uh, we were talking about some of the personages, personalities from World War II, and the topic of Hitler came up. And I remember I was very surprised to hear that um, Swami Kriyananda said, well, you know, Obviously, Hitler was uh, a man who did very horrific things, but remember, eventually he too will find God. It may take a while, may take some time to pay off the karma that he's accrued, but eventually he will find God. He went on to say, and remember what Master had said about Hitler was that Stalin made Hitler look like a Boy Scout. He was a much more evil person, if you want to start ranking these things. It's kind of beyond my comprehension. But um, in his own way, had been also a horrific person. And 
Yogananda said, he too will find God. And I remember feeling after that, boy, if someone who's made that much of a mess of their lives and other people's lives will eventually find God, I guess there's hope for me. (laughs) I guess there's hope for all of us. At another session where we were talking about uh, people from the past, uh, Swami also brought up the life of Judas. And uh, as you remember, he was one of the 12 main disciples of Jesus, but right at the end of Jesus' life, betrayed him over some money, got some money for turning him in to the secret police of the time. And Jesus was crucified, and Judas, after realizing what had happened, committed suicide, actually hung himself. And Swami went on to say, even Judas went on to find God. And in fact, uh, Master talked about the fact that during his lifetime, this is Yogananda, that he met a, an incarnation of Judas, and he was at the point where he was going to be released, uh, and that he had paid off that horrific karma. So here in a, here in a, a period of 2,000 earthly years, he had paid off this terrible uh, action that he had done. So I mention these things simply because it's helpful for us to realize that for all of us, the end result will be our reunification with God and that God is ultimately compassionate and is there helping us no matter what we've done up to this point in our lives. You know, I think for most devotees, larger mistakes are more obvious to us in how they delay or impede our spiritual development. For example, I don't think most devotees are going to wake up one morning and go, you know, I need to make some extra money. Maybe I'll go become an international drug dealer. (laughs) Or, you know, I'm not getting along with my neighbor very well. They haven't been treating me nicely. I think I'll take my car and run it through their rose garden and destroy all their their prize roses. Well, these are kind of the more obvious things. I don't think most people would stumble into that. But Master actually talked about a number of things that can be more subtle that can trip devotees up. And I mention them just because they make the process longer. I think for any of us, the farther we get along the spiritual path, the greater our anticipation for the end reunification with God becomes. And there's this feeling of, this has gone on so long. Why not now? Well, these are some things that he counseled about that can easily work their way into our lives and actually delay things even more. The first one is thinking that we're tired or worn out. I remember once, many years ago, I had been through a a very challenging week at the medical clinic where I worked and was feeling particularly exhausted. I hadn't gotten very much sleep and uh, just happened to bump into Swami and he was asking after my welfare and I probably mumbled something like, well, it's been a busy week and was probably looking a little haggard. And he stopped, he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, you know, Peter, sometimes when you're really tired, it's good to put out even more energy. And 
I thought, is he hallucinating? <laughs> I, couldn't have, I, I couldn't have heard that right. That couldn't be right. And I said, thank you. I didn't argue with him. I said, thank you. But, you know, it was like he put this thought in my brain that has never gone away. And every time when I catch myself being tired and starting to feel sorry for myself and starting to really look forward to a break time when, oh, well, I'll finally get some rest and then it'll all be better, I can remember this conversation and what an impact it had on me. Very recently, this was within the last month, um, I had been asked to go down to Los Angeles for a very short but intense trip serving down there where I would um, fly down, do a two-hour morning class on the brain, and uh, help give a Kriya that evening and give Sunday service the next day and fly home. And it looked like it was going to be a pretty busy trip, but I was uh, looking forward to serving. And the week before my departure, things just sort of were unraveling in um, my work world, my service world. And I got to the day before, and I honestly was wondering, how am, I, how am I going to go do this series of classes, plus all the traveling and everything involved? And I was concerned enough, I actually called some friends up and asked them if they would pray for me, because I was just worried, how am I going to get through this? And I remember at that point, I remember that conversation that I had with Swami, and I, I thought in that moment, you know, my dilemma is, is I'm telling myself that I have to go do this. And it's really not me in the end that's doing it. It's God serving through me. And yes, I'm physically tired. Yes, I feel sort of mentally tired right now. But this is what I've been asked to do. This is my service. And so I should just go and do it with as much enthusiasm as I can. I was very surprised by it. It was much more intense than I thought it was going to be, in fact. Um, pretty much any time I wasn't talking to a group, I was talking to an individual, or I was meditating or asleep. That was pretty much all that I did. Um, and I remember when I was coming home, I was very surprised to realize that I felt much more energetic coming home than when I left to go down. And yet, I hadn't had any time to myself the whole time I was down there. And it was at that moment I sort of realized, well, that's what Swami meant when he said, sometimes when you're really tired, it's good to just have to put out more energy. And in doing that, realizing that you're not the doer, that God's the doer in all things. Second area is be careful about fillers in your life. Fillers would include things like um, just listening to music, reading the newspaper, um, maybe reading an enjoyable book or a novel. Even if it's uplifting material, if it's not something that's really focused on your spiritual development, you could start thinking about it as a filler. And I thought this was kind of an interesting time to be thinking about that because particularly in the last three or four months, the news has been so um, interesting, would be one way to put it. In fact, it reminds me of the Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times. This has kind of been interesting times lately. In fact, I remember that uh, uh, right after the most recent election that um, probably every single patient I saw at my medical clinic for days had something to say about the election. I'd, I would say virtually everyone 
that I talked to was surprised by the outcome, number one. And some people were very distressed about it. Some people were happy about it. It was kind of all over the map as to what people's responses were. But I realized that leading up to it and since then that there's been so much going on to the, in the news that it would be easy to spend a lot of your time reading the newspaper, watching news programs. I mean, you can get things on the Internet now. Um, you could watch news about the recent election eight hours a day, easily, without any problem. I remember a number of years ago, I was reading in one of my medical journals uh, a study that was done on how people select the news articles that they read. And this was very interesting. One of the things they found was that people tended to read news that reinforced their current thoughts and prejudices. So if you were someone who um, was very interested in a specific political point of view, you will tend to read things that support that and not read things that disagree with that. And I remember after reading that, I thought, well, okay, I think I'm reading these things to be a little informed about what's happening in the world, but if I'm suddenly making selections that's just reinforcing who, who I already am, it's not really expanding my awareness or my consciousness at all. It's just kind of encrusting me with one more layer, reinforcing my current prejudices. Well, maybe I shouldn't be reading so much news. And I dramatically cut back on the amount of news, uh, particularly um, video kinds of news programs that I watched simply because of that. And I would just make that as a recommendation. It's fine to stay informed, but give it just enough to make sure that you know what's happening in the world, but don't waste more time on that. It really uh, is something that's not going to help us grow spiritually um, and will just be one more diversion. Another area is self-involvement. I know one of the things I'm often struck by in my medical practice is someone will come in and they're obviously distressed emotionally and uh, acutely, and I'll ask a, a general question about, you know, you seem upset today, what's bothering you? And an answer I might get would be something like, oh, I'm just really mad at my mother, she's just made such a mess of my life, and um, I, I'm just angry about it. And I said, oh, did you have a big argument this morning? And I'm surprised the number of time I get a response like this. No, she died about 20 years ago. <laughs> and did something happen to bring all this back up? No, I'm mad at her all the time like this. And, and I realized one of the aspects of human nature is that if we have had things in our lives that are distressing, that there's a natural tendency of the human mind to want to fan that little ember of emotion and keep it alive, particularly negative things. In fact, unfortunately, they've actually done this in scientific studies, finding that negative emotional experience is about five times more likely to be kept alive in your mind than a positive experience. That's just the way our brain is wired. So... Um, there's this tendency to take this emotional ember that has a negative charge to it and to periodically sort of blow on it and get it all warmed up again 
and relive that whole emotion again with everything continued with it. I gave you the example of someone who was mad at a parent. Um, well, and the person's gone. You can't even have a conversation with them anymore. Well, as devotees, we're constantly trying to do things that will quell or extinguish those kinds of emotional embers. Actually, just put them out so that they no longer flare up and are bothersome and can take control of our thinking or our consciousness. But I think there is a... Um, there's actually a conscious component here of choosing our, our mental diet. Uh, what are we going to think about today? And I find that in myself sometimes, that if I'm um, very fatigued, very tired, sometimes I'll uh, start gravitating to some negative thought in my mind, could be decades old, and I really have to catch my mind and not let myself get started in that because I can start playing out a whole loop of negative thinking just by letting myself starting to blow on that little ember of emotion. So working on these kinds of um, emotional seeds that will um, drag us back into negative thought patterns, old ways of thinking and behaving, it's very helpful to just starve them, just not give them any energy, and do all our positive techniques where we're actively working on extinguishing those things by changing the flow of energy, bringing the energy up into the higher centers of the brain, into the prefrontal lobes of the brain, where these old um, shadows of experience gradually just fade away and no longer have control of us. You know, I was thinking the other night, I often have the opportunity to talk with my patients about their thoughts as they approach the end of their lives. Um, this is a pretty common conversation with me uh, that I'll have with patients that have gotten a diagnosis where they realize their days are now quite numbered. They may be just alive a few more days or weeks. and. One of the things I learned very early on in medicine was that people very quickly start paring away from their lives uh, things that we would normally think about as being cornerstones of who they are. I remember once, this was actually the very first patient I had who was dying. Um, I was trying to get to know him a little bit. I'd been assigned to uh, go talk to him and kind of understand his spiritual and psychological state as he was getting ready to transition. And so I started, you know, just with kind of pleasant conversation. I said, what kind of work did you used to do? And he said, well, I was an architect, but that doesn't have anything to do with anything. And I always remembered that, that even though someone has invested their entire life in a profession or... Um, a whole host of things, when you get down to where you're just about ready to transition, things get paired back dramatically. In fact, in my experience with working with devotees, what I've found is that, one, people are concerned only about a handful of things. And um, one of them is going to be the quality of their relationships and the relationships they've had during their lifetime. And people are often 
trying to sort of resolve what they can that's been left unresolved in relationship. The second thing is there's a real concern about whether they served adequately during their lifetimes, whether they did enough to serve other people, to serve the people close to them. And the last thing is, did they make some headway in their inner relationship with God? And I think those are three bellwethers that we can use. These are three things that we can remember that at some point in the future, um, I hope for many of us that is years away, but we never know. It may come to us much sooner than we expect. That to be oriented around those things now is what we're going to care about when we get toward the end of this physical lifetime. That that is very helpful to instruct us what we should be thinking about and what we should be doing now. So I'd like to just end with saying, remember that our meditation practice will be something that will carry us along with great momentum. It will help keep us organized and on the spiritual path. But it's important that we not allow our energy to get dispersed or diffused away with things that are unhelpful spiritually. We're very fortunate that we have a technique as powerful as Kriya Yoga to help us at this process of God transformation. And if you're someone who currently does not meditate, I would say learn to meditate and spend at least 15 to 20 minutes a day meditating and begin experiencing the transformation that comes with a regular meditative practice. Even if the concept of God or the concept of being a spiritual person feels like a stretch to start with, I think for many of us it did, start with that and see how your life is transformed, how your thinking is transformed, and be drawn along with that. If you have the opportunity to take Kriya Yoga as a meditation technique which is profoundly transformative, take advantage of it. If you have a Kriya technique, make sure you're practicing your Kriya twice a day. That's what Master recommended to us, that we spend some time morning and evening in our Kriya Yoga practice and seeing that as our life draft to infinity. It is there. We've been given the tools for God transformation, that our ability to realize a relationship with God, to realize God's presence in our lives, we have the tools now, and let's make good use of them so God's presence in our life is something that gets transmitted to everyone around us, that we become actors in this world that are transformative for other people by our very presence.